Hey everybody, this is Tom Salemi. Welcome back to the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. Well, it's a snowy, snowy Friday morning here in uh, Massachusetts. This is what I get for taunting Chris Newmarker last week when we had our 60 degree temperature day. Uh, Winter is back with a vengeance, but Device Talks Weekly is back as well. So we have great discussion for you today. I interviewed Heather Hudnut-Page. She is Vice President and General Manager of Peripheral Vascular at Philips. We're going to talk about how Philips is approaching its building of an image-guided therapeutic business. It's had some significant acquisitions, including Vesper of late. We'll talk about all of that. And uh, we'll find a bit more, find out a bit about uh, Heather's background and her uh, interesting path into medtech. Also very happy to have uh, Chris Landon from Philips back. He is Senior Vice President and Business Leader of Image Guided Therapy Devices at the company. Chris was on the podcast a couple of years ago, and he joins us for uh, this week's New Markers Newsmakers. So uh, great to have Chris Landon in the booth. Before we begin, I want to remind you that we're hosting our Device Talks Boston meeting May 10th and 11th at the Boston Convention Center. It's going to be a great day filled with professional development and networking opportunities. We'll be updating the agenda on our website very soon, but uh, it definitely will be worth your time. So go to devicetalks.com to register, and please remember to use the code DTW, that's for Device Talks Weekly, DTW25, and you'll save 25% off the cost of registration, including our early bird registration rate, which is uh, still ongoing. So save yourself a bundle of dough and use DTW25. 25. Also, registration is open for Device Talks Minnesota. That's happening June 6th and 7th at the Hyatt Regency Hotel in Minneapolis. Once again, you can use that same code DTW25 to save 25% off that registration fee. We'd love to see you at one of those meetings. We'd love to see you at both of those meetings, but I don't want to get greedy. Uh, be great to have you there. We will have exciting keynotes at both, exciting professional development and networking opportunities at both. So uh, please do keep an eye on the agenda and plan to attend one or both of those events. All right, let's begin this week's Device Talks Weekly Podcast. All right, you ready for this? Ready. Chris Newmarker, how are you, sir? Good to be here, Tom. Good to have you here. How's it going, man? It's going great, and I'm thrilled to have another Chris in the booth. We have Chris Landon, the Senior Vice President and Business Leader of Image Guided Therapy Devices on the podcast. Chris, how are you? I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for the invite, guys. And please, since there's going to be two Chris's here, please don't call me little Chris. I can't handle that. <laughs> How, 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 what would you like? Do you have a nickname that we can put out for uh, the thousands of people listening to this podcast? Any, any, any type of term of endearment you'd like us to use? Well, in multiple Chris situations, my friends just call me Landon. There you go. <laughs> we'll figure it out. So uh, it's, it's I, new marker and Landon today. That's, what we that's right. right. I'll make it easy. We need to come up with an alliteration, just like new markers, newsmakers. Actually, that sounds like a brand of soap or something. Newmarker and Landon, like or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, 
Like I, I didn't just want to spend two dollars on doves, so I went I went and bought some some new marker and Landon. <laughs> I think it sounds like a fine steakhouse. To be <laughs> That's good. New, oh yeah, I yeah, no, for sure. Nice. So I listened to uh, the interview we did way back, and, and Chris, you were I've told you this when we uh, got together that you were one of like the first episodes that we had that really kind of took off. It was like holy crap, this guy knows people. And it really got a lot of interest on LinkedIn and, and a lot of plays. So uh, thank you for that. Very kind of you to share your your network with us. But uh, uh, my pleasure. And, and by the way, the, the podcast has absolutely taken off. Uh, it's got its own following. I've now become a big fan. In fact, I just want you to know, I brought my device talks survival kit with me uh, to this interview. So I have my hot tub chicken wings. I've got my nice. pumpkin sausage skewers. And just in case I need it, I've got a, I've got my Klingon to English dictionary. <laughs> wow. So I'm guessing if, uh, if we gave you the same quiz that we gave Paul Grant in the first time, you would have, you would have gone three for three with the questions. I probably would have done all right. <laughs> so awesome. You were, you were the first guest that I asked, uh, how you found your way into med tech. I was surprised because I, I used to do it on a previous podcast I did. So your origin story was, uh, was definitely interesting. I remember you, you, for, if you could just recount for us, like, well, how did you get into the industry? There was a video that sort of kind of caught your eye and really demonstrated to you the, the potential for, for med tech. Yeah, it was a great story. I was being recruited out of my MBA program. Uh, I was fortunate enough to uh, meet CEO of Medtronic, Bill George, uh, while I was doing my MBA. And he introduced me to a few people at Medtronic. And while I was being recruited, I was shown uh, a video. Um, and it was a video of a patient who had been implanted with a deep brain stimulation device. And so it uh, turned out this elderly gentleman had uh, in his career, been a pianist and played at concert halls all around the world. And I just remember watching that video and, and that gentleman trying to play the piano while he was having his tremors and not being able to make any music at all. And uh, once he turned on his uh, his device and those tremors kind of faded away, he was able to sit down and play a beautiful piece of music for a couple of minutes. And uh, afterwards, the interviewer asked him how he felt about that. And all he wanted to do was express how thankful he was to be able to share his gift. And uh, I felt like that was uh, the spirit of what I was looking for in terms of fulfillment in my career, uh, the ability to do something, not just to have a great career trajectory and, and a great opportunity to develop myself, but uh, to give uh, something like that uh, to our customers, to our patients. I, I just thought that was very motivational. And that's how I got into medical devices. That was my motivation. That's great. That's a fantastic start. And uh, I mean, we, we make a lot of that uh, yeah. here in the podcast. We're talking about what, what drives us in medtech, but how, how are, are we overstating sort of the, the mission that a lot of people feel in this industry? I'm sure it's not a hundred percent, but uh, person to person that you talk to, I yeah. mean, is there a, a broader, do people share your sentiments? Oh, I think so. In fact, uh, funny enough, I was just having a conversation with someone this morning about uh, the motivations of people that go into medical devices. And it's really not hard. You, you step foot into any one of these great companies that are, are building these great technologies and you'll find people whose lives have been touched by either the technologies that their companies have made or, or technologies that, that other companies uh, have produced. And I think that's what makes this uh, industry so great is, is we all have a connection and a reason for being that goes beyond uh, whatever the stock price is or whatever our compensation is. Uh, and it's, it's, it's almost universal. Uh, in fact, uh, I, I just think it's something that just makes this even more special of an industry to be in. I mean, that's kind of the, that, that's one of the like really exciting things about, about this industry is that it's best. I mean, you know, to think about the lives that we can improve and like, you know, just, just how, I mean, I, I guess, unfortunately there's so much room for improvement in healthcare, but, uh, you know, it's also like a fortune that we can, you know, like, you know, do work to, to really, really improve this and, you know, make people's 
Like this does improve the the quality and length of people's lives. I agree, and there there is tons of room for improvement. But uh, there's a great uh, roadmap of of future innovations coming our way that I think are going to. Uh, just amplify the impact uh, that medical devices and medical technology can have on patients. If you look at the history of of medical devices, so many of the interventions uh, that uh, we as an industry have produced devices and and solutions for have have been acute. Uh, But as we move towards uh, greater care and and, uh, focusing on those, those chronic diseases that span years or decades for some patients, bringing technology to bear that combines not just mechanical um, benefits, but also uh, layers in kind of the smart technologies and and brings in uh, the best in terms of things like artificial intelligence and robotics. So many things that so many innovators that you all interview are working on. These are the types of technologies that when paired with our ability to to conduct clinical trials and and, and analyze massive amounts of data, they're going to lead us to breakthroughs in in helping to manage these patients uh, chronically. And that's exciting future. There's so many uh, big economic challenges associated with caring for patients, whether it's things like diabetes or heart failure or cancer, uh, that we can uh, envision how to combine intelligence with devices uh, to bring uh, procedural innovation to bear and chronic disease management innovation to bear on those patients. It's an exciting future. There's so much more runway ahead of us. That's great. Yeah. Well, we're going to hear from Heather Hudnut Page. Uh, at uh, she works with you there at Philips. She's vice president and general manager of Peripheral Vascular, and we'll talk more about what Philips is up to uh, with Heather about your your Vesper acquisition. I know we have a, a limited amount of time today, so Chris, I think we better uh, Chris. Excuse me, Newmarker. Yes, I think we better. Uh, <laughs> I think we better start off with the Newmarkers Newsmakers. Once you uh, lead us. Lead us into number five. Let's do the new markers, newsmakers. So number five on the list, we have uh, Baxter settling this week with the uh, Securities and Exchange Commission for eighteen million dollars. Uh, you know, to uh, settling um, you know accusation over accusations of misstated company earnings over you know foreign exchange trading practices. This was you know kind of a you know, big, big problem, you know, internally at Baxter in recent years, but uh, without, uh, you know, uh, like w- without like admitting or denying the, the accusations for the SEC, the uh, Baxter's uh, paying $18 million to settle things, move on. Um, they also settled a federal shareholder lawsuit over the matter last year for for sixteen million dollars. So hopefully, just Baxter, you know, turning a, a page over some of those uh, accounting problems that they had. And Landon, I'm guessing you don't want to say anything about the SEC, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, gonna stay away from that. He's backing away from the camera. <laughs> I'm, I'm backing away, okay, and I'm out. going to be comfortable with that awkward silence. Totally Moving along, what is number four on the new market yes. newsmakers? Well, this is more. Uh, this is more cheery news. We got uh, FDA uh, approved uh, the next generation uh, version of uh, Medtronic's uh, Interstem system. It's the Interstem X. Uh, this is implantable neuromod uh, to you know treat uh, overactive bladder or you know chronic fecal incontinence. Continence, uh, non-obstructive urinary retention, but you know, one of the really cool things about this new uh, Neuromod device is that's got a uh, uh, next generation of battery chemistry that's you know can can offer more than ten years of battery life without uh, recharging. So just just neat that you can get like this uh, neuro. I mean, these are like all kinds of things that we used to like turn to pharmaceuticals to treat, and now we can have like this Neuromod device that can treat overactive bladder. You know, we can you know put it in somebody. You know, and this can, this can last you know at least ten years. And they're even saying in the low power mode, this could last for fifteen years potentially. Yeah, it's, that's great. It's great technology. Um, you know, I'm familiar with that, uh, having spent some time. In Medtronic. And again, it just speaks to the innovation that happens uh, in our world of medical devices, this idea that sometimes 
we take big swings at the plate and we come up with brand new interventions that, that, that change everything. And sometimes we, we spend and focus our time on the platforms we have and we try to make them a better uh, patient experience. At Philips, we talk about this all the time, user experience, patient experience. Those are two of the four legs of what we call our quadruple aim. And that guides us in terms of, of how we uh, try to prioritize our innovation. But there's always this balance about trying to build off existing platforms, moving forward, improving patient experiences, physician experiences, while at the same time taking those big swings at the plate that, that change economics or maybe even clinical outcomes for patients. Exactly. It's kind of, tra- it's, it's kind of neat that that you know that that, I, that we're seeing this trend in recent years of a host of companies like taking this pacemaker like uh, you know technology. I mean, you had the pacemaker technology, you knew how to you know uh, implant you know something with a battery into somebody that ran leads to things, and and you know in this realization like oh we could do this more than just for just the heart. We could you know run this you know to various you know nerves in the body and whatnot, and you know provide like this uh, this neuromod therapy. So it's a really really cool trend right now. And as you said, it's kind of like a technology we already had, so they know what they're doing. We we're just like applying it to new areas, which is really exciting. Definitely, that's a great point. All right, well, let us uh, let us roll onto uh, onto number three. We only have our one interview of the day, so we'll uh, we'll hit the new markers, newsmakers one to five, five to one, and then we'll go into uh, talking with uh, Heather Hudnut Page. Well, this uh, this is a story from uh, late last week, uh, but we had a uh, shockwave uh, medical uh, reporting. I, they 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 nearly quadrupled their uh, their sales in, in the in the fourth quarter, but they they've got some really uh, you know interesting technology that's uh, that's you know, involves delivering. Uh, sonic pressure to, to treat a cardiovascular disease. So just, it's kind of like a cool technology and it's just really growing. Oh, it's a, a very interesting space. And there was, there was a talk earlier in the year about a potential penumbra takeover of shockwave. And I haven't really heard anything, anything about that since. So, and I'm guessing Chris Land is not going to talk about that, which is perfectly fine. Uh, so good for, good for shockwave. We'll actually, we'll, we'll have yes. their CEO on the podcast in a couple of weeks. So, uh, We'll let uh, Shockwave speak to that to that directly. Chris, though, you can talk about Chris Landon. Uh, I know you need to catch a flight or head to the airport soon. I'm just curious, how is your? Are you back to normal uh, travel wise, life wise, COVID wise? Uh, you were when I spoke with you last. You were in your basement uh, or in your office, I should say. It wasn't your basement. You were in your office. Uh, I don't know where right. I was in your house, but uh, are you back in the office? What's what's the return been like for uh, for Phillips and for you? Yeah, I imagine COVID is a, a frequent topic uh, on your podcast, at least the ones I've listened to, uh, for sure. Uh, the world seems to be coming back a little bit. Uh, and uh, what I'm encouraged by is uh, the enhanced safety uh, protocols that uh, I know we've implemented in our company and that have been implemented in, in a lot of our peer companies. Uh, believe it or not, there's a lot of benchmarking uh, against one another, and, and we're all trying to do the right thing for our employees. Uh, along with that comes uh, reasonable uh, business travel. So I, I am definitely going back and forth. Uh, the medical devices business of Phillips has uh, uh, primary operations in San Diego, Colorado Springs, and, and Minneapolis. I, I go through uh, uh, in between each of the three sites pretty frequently. And of course, we're a Dutch company. Uh, so our headquarters are, are in, uh, in Amsterdam. I am actually going to be making my first trip back uh, to Europe okay. uh, in March. So just a few wow. weeks away. And Excited. it'll actually be exactly two years to the day uh, when I arrived that uh, I left Amsterdam for the last time. Uh, so it's, uh, it's going to be a bit of a reunion for me to see a bunch wow. of colleagues, and, and I'm really looking forward to that. We're also looking forward to uh, resuming uh, our travel to uh, the Asia-Pacific region as well. So we're kind of eyeing some dates in Japan and, and keeping an eye on China and finding out, you know, just like everyone else, when it's going to be possible to go back there and, and to uh, go visit some of our customers and some of our operations uh, in, in that great market. So 
uh, keeping our fingers crossed that we can sustain this this uh, this good trend and that we'll be able to get back on the road as normal relatively soon. Well, that, that's good to hear. And of course, we're we're hopeful that uh, our device talks meetings in Boston and Minnesota go off uh, go off as planned. Uh, can never guarantee anything 100, percent but definitely feeling feeling better on our side as well. I think it's moved on from a question of when are we going to beat COVID to when is COVID going to stop beating us. But I'm I'm just I'm just keeping my fingers crossed that it's, it's finally done. Maybe COVID can take a nap, you know, like uh, read a good book or something, and let it let us get on and uh, get, you know get back to life. Absolutely. Anyway, I, uh, I actually had COVID um, back in uh, January, oh and uh, I got I got sick, but not terribly sick. Then I had a cold a couple of weeks later, and that knocked me out. That thing lingered forever. Oh, that was awful. I actually had to see, go to urgent care for that because uh, I was having trouble breathing, but uh, I was able to get that under control. So maybe we all have to learn how to handle a cold. Uh, maybe so. I'm, I'm keeping my face mask on in the supermarket. That's all I know. I, 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 I don't want to get the flu. I don't want to get a cold. I won't be ridiculous about it. I'm going to go out and have dinner. I actually got to go out with my son yesterday, and that was a yeah. good time. It was nice, nice little piece of normal. I, I unfortunately have preschoolers in the house, so I, I don't have that option. <laughs> They're just going to bring it all home. You, you've got no hope. Yeah, I have no you've hope. No, I'm doomed. No hope. All right, Chris. New marker. Let's yes. hit number two on the new markers, newsmakers. Well, number two on the list, we've got uh, Smith and Nephew uh, announcing they're going to be uh, bringing on a, a new uh, CEO, Dr. Uh, Deepak uh, Nath. Uh, their present CEO, uh, Roland Diggleman, is going to be uh, you know stepping down. And they say it was a mutual something they did as a result of a mutual agreement. He's going to be leaving at the uh, end of March, and uh, they're going to be bringing on uh, Nath, who uh, was you know uh, previously at uh, Siemens Health and Ears, running their diagnostics business. So uh, this uh, really giant British med tech company that you know plays a big role in the ortho space. You know they're uh, they're uh, they're they're tapping a uh, top executive from uh, Siemens to Siemens Health and Ears to come over and uh, and run the company. Yeah, I wish them all the best. I, I have a, a couple of my former Medtronic colleagues, including a, a former mentor of mine, uh, Brad Cannon, who, who are over there at Smith and Nephew. So wishing yeah. them the best. How challenging has it been being a transatlantic company during this time? Yeah, it's difficult, uh, especially when uh, you're part of a, a big global company that that has a singular operating model and, and depends a lot on collaboration and coordination mm. uh, in order to move all the businesses forward. Uh, it took us a while to master uh, the the technology that helps us stay connected uh, using these kind of uh, video uh, uh, types of, of meetings, these virtual types of techniques. Uh, but it, it, I'm not gonna lie; it's been pretty difficult uh, to keep it going. And uh, you know, I'm I'm thankful that uh, there are so many people who've been willing to lean in and um, uh, prioritize our uh, you know employee mental well uh, mental well being uh, above all other things, because I, I think that's allowed us to kind of keep it true north. Uh, the other thing I would point out is that you know our customers, our physicians, have struggled through this mm-hmm. as well, uh, and the challenges that they've had to get through. Uh, not just you know getting access to support because uh, just like every other medical device uh, company, our, our sales reps and our clinical specialists are usually in cases with doctors, uh, but also just getting access uh, to uh, product. And we've had in our own business disruptions related to supply chain, those kinds of things. I know many of our uh, competitors and, and pure companies have had the same challenges and that all has a cumulative effect on uh, on our customers so those have all been challenges and, and i know we're all kind of waiting for better days ahead. i think i think supply chain is is the new uh COVID in terms of things we talk about that we would have never talked about before uh i had an interview just this week where uh well it was with spencer styles at striker 
And he actually felt that uh, things may start to ease up, at least for Stryker, this summer, this fall. Are you? How are you feeling about things this year? Do you think we'll see uh, things get a bit better? Yeah, you know, for, for us on the disposable and implantable device side, I, I am optimistic. I, I feel like uh, we're getting our, our arms around some of those challenges. Uh, of course, we have a, a lot of uh, um, uh, chip-based, mm-hmm. circuit board-based types of technologies, yeah. imaging systems, and that. Uh, that world's a lot more complicated yeah. and uh, the competition for supply is much uh, greater. And so we're going to keep wrestling with those. Uh, this is one of the benefits of being part of a, of a big organization like Philips is that you can, can you know, uh, accumulate all of the needs across all of your businesses and, and bring that leverage to bear uh, with your suppliers and, and hopefully uh, you know, unlock uh, some blockages uh, through that. But uh, keeping our fingers crossed, I mean, it's, it's still kind of uncertain out there. You know, I know the device... You know, device industry groups have been kind of pushing the Biden administration to kind of, you know, prioritize medtech more and you know, like some of all these supply chain, you know, moves they're they're making. I mean, how how hopeful are you about that? Uh, I, I don't have a lot of specifics I can share with you. I, I do know our own CEO, uh, Franz Van Houten, has, has met uh, with um, different um, uh, governments around the world to try to unlock uh, some of this and prioritize uh, medical devices and healthcare uh, in terms of getting access to scarce resources. And I think that's something that, you know, most of us uh, in the industry can agree on is, is probably beneficial for, for patients uh, and for markets. Fantastic. All right. Exactly. Well, Chris Newmarker, let's wrap up the, uh, this, this week's All Newsmarkers right. Newsmakers. What's number one? Well, number one on the list, uh, this, this is just actually getting a lot of attention um, on, on social media as well, but we've got uh, FDA uh, approving an expanded indication for uh, Abbott's uh, cardio MEMS device. And this is like an implantable um, heart failure uh, sensor remotely monitors uh, palm, pulmonary artery uh, pressure changes you know, to provide an early warning for worsening uh, heart failure. But this uh, ex, you know, expansion of the indication for FDA could make this available to another 1.2 million you know, people in, in this country in the United States with heart failure. So um, just, uh, yeah, really interesting device. And, you know, it's going to be going to be uh, available to a, a lot more people in the United States who uh, could, you know, is, is, is definitely, you know, scary to heart, have heart failure and, you know, to have like this kind of device that they could implant, they could give you an early warning that things are getting worse would be, yeah. it sounds good. Well, Chris, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier in, in the future for medical devices increasingly going into chronic disease. Uh, it goes without saying uh, how uh, what a huge burden heart failure is, both in the U.S. and, and most other uh, developed countries around the world. Uh, it is a, uh, an enormous disease. It's extremely costly. It's very difficult to drive uh, great outcomes just through pharmaceuticals alone. And so that you can bring smart devices to bear that produce data that help in the overall management of that patient. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a great vision for, for the future. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad that Abbott was able to, to get their uh, indications expanded. And I would also note this, it's, it is not trivial uh, to win those kinds of expansions and, and the amount of time and investment that goes into uh, producing data, working with yeah. your uh, clinical researchers um, and getting that out there uh, into regulatory submissions. That, that's a massive amount of work and, and it takes a lot of discipline and, and a lot of uh, planning to get there. We've had CardioMEMS technology on the market I mean, the initial approval was in 2014. And, yeah. And this is how long it takes uh, to get yeah. those things done. So uh, that's great news. 
We had, we had a great discussion about MEMS technology on this week's Device Talks Tuesdays. It was uh, brought to you by Millar, and they have some interesting tech and, and new sensors coming online. So folks who want to see that can go to devicetalks.com and uh, watch that on yeah. demand. It's, it's very cool that a technology that was originally used in jet engines is now being used in medical devices. It's just just very cool. Absolutely. All right. Well, great, uh, great list, uh, Chris Newmarker. And uh, now let's uh, roll into our interview with Heather Hudnut-Page, Vice President and General Manager of Peripheral Vascular at Philips. Well, Heather Hudnut-Page, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Tom. Great to have you here. Great to focus on, on Philips. So we'll, we'll uh, talk again with Chris Landon, a different part of the show. And I actually listened to his podcast that he was on. Uh, we had him on a couple of years ago. So this is a great opportunity to kind of catch up on where Philips has been, especially since your uh, recent acquisition of Vesper. But before we get into all of that cool stuff, love to find out about how our guests find their way into their industry. So, uh, what was your your path into the industry? Are you are you one of those always wanted to be in healthcare people, or happened to find my way here and love it so much and never left people? I would say I more always wanted to be in healthcare. Uh, my undergraduate degree was in economics, but my undergraduate thesis was on um, product line management in hospitals, and I really wanted to put together my interest in business with my interest in healthcare. So my first job actually out of undergrad was actually at General Mills, where I was the marketing manager for brownies and muffins. Very <laughs> exciting job. Yeah, That sounds awesome. Oh, I happen to <laughs> love brownies and muffins. Well, they're good. They're really good. Uh, it was a great job, actually. Quality control is tasting your own product. So my job was much better than the tuna helper uh, job, but, uh, but it, uh, very fun. Very, That's a tough great job. Yeah, but I really loved marketing. And so I went back after working at, at General Mills and went to Kellogg um, to get my MBA and focused on healthcare. Mm-hmm. And out of Kellogg, got my first job really in the med tech space, was at, which was at Medtronic. It was actually the second year that Medtronic was the hiring people with MBAs, came in kind of at the ground level within the MBA format at, at Medtronic and ended up spending 24 years there. So just going back in that, uh, that decision to go to Kellogg, did you know while you were selling brownies and muffins that this was not right for you and you, and you definitely wanted to find a way to healthcare? What, what sort of led you to sort of make that course correction? I always love to, to learn about those moments. Yeah, no, I really wanted to connect my interest in healthcare with my interest in business. So even as I went to General Mills, I went there with the opportunity to really get smarter on marketing. Mm-hmm. You know, I came from a liberal arts college. I went to Colorado College. And so I really wanted to become smarter in marketing. And for sure, General Mills got me started that way. But my plan had always been go back to business school and then try to make that move into the med tech space. Excellent. And you, as you mentioned you, you got the job at Medtronic, which is a great place to start. I wasn't aware of, were they not hiring MBAs before that? Or was that a specific program that they had set up? Yeah, it was the second year that they that they brought MBAs in. So we're, we're taking ourselves back a number of years now. But yeah, it was their uh, opportunity to start bringing in kind of up and coming marketing talent. Okay. Um, and so there was a group of us that were brought in. There were, I think there were 10 of us. And now it is part of Medtronic's process. They sure. hire people every year out of business school. What was that like? It sounds as if then you were sort of the marketing business people coming into a company filled more with engineers and product development types. Is that, am I envisioning that, that correctly? Is, you've got it. That's exactly correct. Yep. And so it was, it was, I would say it would take time. It took time to really transition to that, um, but really a fun environment. Um, I joined Medtronic when it wasn't even a billion dollar company. And so um, a lot of growth, a lot of learning, 
And, and like, as I mentioned, I ended up being there for 24 years. So a lot of change over that time as well, but with the opportunity. Well, that's great. What were a few of the, the, the high points while you were there? So the projects or businesses that you're working on that you uh, you'd like to highlight? Yeah, well, I started in pacing, actually bradycardia pacing and launched some uh, pacemakers and then went from there into perfusion, uh, which was a really challenging business, but a really exciting business. And at the time I was in perfusion, not even a year in the perfusion business, the company acquired a technology called the Octopus from Utrecht University. Hmm. It's a tissue stabilizer for beating heart surgery and really started the beating heart market. So a super exciting opportunity. I was pulled in to lead marketing for that. And we took it from really no patients getting beating heart surgery to you know hundreds of thousands of people getting beating heart surgery today. Uh, so really an exciting opportunity to really build something from the ground up. And then we we also then created, coming out of that acquisition, we ended up creating a business that was called Cardiac Surgery Technologies, which mm-hmm. was all the new space in cardiac surgery, a minimally invasive cardiac surgery. And they literally put a wall up in the company, in the building, so that we would act like a startup. They wanted us to not worry about all the requirements of the organization and to go fast. Interesting. In fact, our mission uh, was to go fast, like a cheetah. We all had cheetahs on our desk and <laughs> go fast. The fast will eat the slow is what they said. So, so those were some of my high points. I also spent some time in philanthropy. I actually went into corporate and led a big non-communicable disease initiative focused on bringing together people, products, and philanthropy. And spent time all over the developing world in Africa and India and Latin America and China. So really exciting opportunities while while I was at Medtronic. I saw that part of your resume. I wondered how that uh, transition happened. Was that an area you wanted to pursue and just sort of move away from marketing medical devices? Or Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I was asked to do an analysis. This is now at least 10 years ago, 15 years ago. I was asked to do an analysis of will the future of structural heart disease be interventional approaches? So this is at the very beginning wow. before everyone got into transcatheter valves. So I did some primary, secondary research actually for the CEO at the time. Bill Hawkins. And um, I did that analysis and the decision was made. My recommendation was, yep, the future is going to be interventional approaches to structural heart disease. And they reorganized the company. So they put the vascular division together with the cardiac surgery division to create cardiovascular. So then I led strategy for that new organization. Uh, Super fun, really exciting. It led to the acquisition of core valve, which of course is the transcatheter valve. That's right. Aortic valve um, for Medtronic. Wow. And um, while I was in that role, the foundation was looking for strategy help to go after a concept that Harvard has, has really publicized called shared value. So how do you leverage all the assets of your company to have a greater social impact in the world? So back to people, products, and philanthropy. Um, and that led to that role. And while I was in that role is when I got a call from one of my prior people I'd worked for at Medtronic who had left Medtronic and had gone to Covidian. And yeah, exactly. So you (laughs) can see where this is going. So I loved my job in what was called corporate philanthropy, um, but I really missed the business. And so I got a a call from this gentleman, Chuck Brynelson, called me and said, you know, can I finally get you to leave Medtronic? And I said, you know, I think I'm ready to do something new. Left, went to Covidian, led marketing for their interventional lung solutions business. And within two weeks on that job, it was announced that Medtronic was acquiring Covidian. <laughs> yes. So I've been at Medtronic for 20 years, left, <laughs> and then was acquired back. 
Every time you think you're out, they pull you back in. That's fantastic. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so let's let's talk about the move to Phillips. How did that uh, come together, and, and what was appealing about that opportunity? Yeah. So while I was back at Medtronic, I got a call from one of my prior, again, someone else I'd worked for in the past, a guy named Chris Berries. He called me and asked if I would come help him. He had just joined Phillips, um, and Phillips had just recently acquired Volcano. And they were trying to think through their next move in the devices and therapy space. So he called me and asked if I would be willing to come in and really lead strategy to think through how do we take Phillips from this just amazing innovation imaging company into deeper into devices and therapy. Mm -hmm. So I, I came on board with Phillips. Super exciting opportunity to really think kind of ground up. How do you expand this um, company to go beyond imaging? into more of the device and therapy space. So I joined in uh, 2017, came in as a strategy leader, led strategy and marketing for image-guided therapy devices. During that time, the acquisition was made of Spectronetics. And after being in that job about six months, I then moved into leading the peripheral vascular business. So yeah, exciting time. That is great. So how different are the cultures between an imaging company and a therapeutic implant device company? Is there a big difference? Yes and no. So no, in the sense that Philips, just like Medtronic, completely focused on innovation, right? And continuing to innovate the procedure for the purpose of, of patient care and advancing patient care. So from that perspective, really, really not that different. I would say structurally, the company is a little bit different in the sense that Philips is very um, corporate driven. And so has really great corporate vision that, that permeates through all the businesses and very kind of corporate-led, while Medtronic is very business unit-led. I would say Jeff Martha has even taken it further on, on that path. So that is a little bit different than in terms of culture, but both companies completely focused on advancing patient care mm -hmm. and innovating to improve globally how patients are cared for, both in developed countries and developing countries. And what does the development of image-guided therapy, what does that look like? Is it just a pairing of, of an imaging system with an implant that is delivered with the use of that imaging system? Is it that simple? Talk a bit about the pairing and the strategy and, and what Philips hopes to be in this regard. Yeah, so it's a little bit of both, I would mm -hmm. say, right? Part of it is really creating smart devices that are well-connected to the imaging. Some of it is expanding both the imaging portfolio and the device portfolio to, again, expand care. So lots of work around um, artificial intelligence, augmented reality. How can you think about providing more tools for a physician to be able to better control and give more precise treatment to their patients? One of the things that's, I think, unique about Philips is that we're the only company that has imaging and therapy. So that combination is really powerful. And then as we innovate, really pulling those pieces closer and closer together. You know, for instance, you know, one thing we're really focused on is radiation exposure and how do we minimize radiation exposures? IVIS, which is the technology that was acquired in the volcano acquisition, is really focused on how do you see inside a vessel and minimize the need for radiation for, for the angiogram and angiography. And we're continuing to innovate, thinking about EVIS, so extravascular ultrasound, being able to see inside the body and see inside vessels and minimize the radiation exposure. Mm -hmm. um, so really continuing to think about how do we expand imaging to guide more of that treatment. We often say decide, guide, treat, and confirm. We want to help physicians do all four. And the imaging plays a really critical role in that. That's terrific. So how does that 
in terms of selling both the imaging systems and the devices, how does that work? I'm assuming that uh, the salesperson with something in their bag does not have an imaging system in the bag. Are there two separate businesses and they're sort of selling separately and just happen to maybe communicate? Or is there is it a, a uniform single approach? So I would say a combination. So within, um, again, we've got an image-guided therapy business, which has two pieces to it, image-guided therapy devices and image-guided therapy systems. Mm -hmm. So there are people out, the system side is think interventional cath labs, right? right? So we've got systems people selling all that. We've got devices people selling all of the devices that you'd think about, medical devices, but they also sell intravascular ultrasound, which is capital equipment and is often integrated into that system. So there's a lot of collaboration in the field by both groups. They have individual responsibilities, but they also work really closely together as we sell these systems so that the capital that's within the devices business and the capital is, is the IVIS capital, intervascular ultrasound capital, as well as our laser capital for our uh, atherectomy technologies, making sure that we integrate that or sell it together for a full capital sale. We also have a group of people who are procedural solutions people, salespeople, and we have a procedural solutions business that'll go into an OBL and completely outfit the OBL with hmm. all the capital, all the devices, everything they need, including even consulting services to help them get set up um, to open up an office-based lab. So a lot of integration of imaging and therapy within the sales force, either collaborating or literally a sales force, the procedural solutions sales force sells both sets of both products. So are you selling into, is, is our OBLs, and I actually hadn't heard that term before, that's office-based labs, OBL? Yep. Is there a rising number of those that you're able to sell into? Are you sort of feeding a trend there, or are you selling to sort of the existing hospitals and, and physician groups and just having them switch from, from another system to your system? Yeah, no, it, there's absolutely a trend to office-based labs and ambulatory surgical centers. Sure, okay. Mm -hmm. Right? So yep. think think uh, difference between an ASC and an OBL. ASCs have a little bit higher credentialing uh, okay. requirements, but both the similar procedures. For example, you can't do a PCI in an OBL, but you can in an ASC. Mm -hmm. But these OBLs sometimes are connected to a hospital, sometimes they're standalone, but provide incredibly good quality of care at most often a much lower cost than if it were in the hospital. So it's absolutely a trend in the United States um, and, and growing in other parts of the world as well. So we have a whole team just focused on that area. This would be if you're, you're going to a Mass General Hospital, me in Boston facility, but it's in a, an office park somewhere uh, or it's in a sort of a commercial building. Yep. Yeah. yeah, but they're yeah. fully outfitted, right, you know, right. cath labs. Yeah, right. no, they yeah. have. And so that that procedure solutions team is selling ultrasound, CT scanners, MRI, you know, not necessarily MRI, but but CT scans, ultrasound, certainly all of the kind of an interventional cath lab. They're fully outfitted. They're actually impressive places. Interesting. Yeah, it's a big growth area because it is a lower cost of service area. Well, let's talk a bit about your, your growth. You mentioned the acquisition of Volcano and, and Spectronex a little bit, closed on Intact a couple of years ago. Let's talk about sort of those three and what business that kind of built. And then I want to get into your most recent acquisition of, of Vesper. So how are you building through acquisition? Yeah. So um, as I mentioned, the way Philips really got into the devices space was with that acquisition of Volcano in 2015. And with that, that provided intravascular ultrasound as well as physiology and a mechanical atherectomy technology. 
When I came in, that's what was in the portfolio. Uh, we then acquired Spectronetics, which moved the organization even further into the uh, the devices space. So that added three or, or more treatment space. So three coronary products, five peripheral vascular products, and four heart rhythm management products. So Spectronetics grew the business by about 40% in terms wow. of the significance of that acquisition. Yeah, really, really um, exciting acquisition. Um, in the meantime, obviously, as we acquired Volcano and acquired uh, Spectronetics, there was a lots of organic work happening at the same time, which, of course, we then picked up and continued to expand on. Most recently, as you mentioned, we acquired Intact Vascular in September of 2020, um, a really interesting technology, very much focused on an unmet need in the market. Part of treating um, arterial disease is the use of balloon angioplasty to open the vessel. And part of that process of opening the vessel often creates dissections in the vessel, so kind of vessel flaps. And if those are not treated, they can lead to thrombus, restenosis, future procedures. So what IVIS does is help identify those dissections. So you can see them on an angiogram and using angiography, but IVIS really gets you inside the vessel to see those dissections. So when you see a dissection, then you can tack that dissection uh, with the tack endovascular system. So when you think of a tack, think of a really small stent. It's a, it's a scaffold, but it doesn't have the same radial force of a typical stent. So it's not as invasive on the vessel. It just tacks up that little dissection and helps make sure that you get continued flow. We've had fantastic data um, that's been presented called TOBA is the whole series of data out there on both above the knee and below the knee use of the tax system. So really exciting uh, technology added to our portfolio, a beautiful combination of IVIS um, and then identifying where these dissections happen and then what to do about them. And then uh, the most recent acquisition was the acquisition of Vesper Medical, which we closed on in January. So just six, eight weeks ago. And that's another really exciting opportunity for us. This is then on the venous side. So Intact Vascular was on the arterial side. Vesper Medical is on the venous side. And here's an area of disease that we've been really deeply involved in from an IVIS perspective. Mm -hmm. So again, intravascular ultrasound is used to really see inside the vessel. And it is used to both identify thrombus and to determine what to do from a, a management of thrombus perspective. But the other part of venous disease is a compression. So when you think about somebody with venous disease, it's either based on thrombus that's become old or even scarred over, which is impacting flow, or it's happening due to compression where the artery or your bony structure may really flatten your veins and cause problems. So a venous stent is a way to manage both of those issues in terms of opening up the vessel. And IVIS has been used for years to see what you should do and how to best place a stent. So we've been kind of keeping our eyes and ears open for a venous stent. We're super excited about Vesper Medical. It's a combination of two stents, two stent designs. One is the dual hybrid. The other is the duo extend. And this unique combination is like strong where it needs to be strong and flexible where it needs to be flexible. So as you think about most of these stents are happening kind of in the pelvic area and we've got bony structures. And so it needs to kind of be strong at the top and more flexible at the bottom. And this technology really integrates that very uh, unique management of the stent. And then the Duo Extend really is just an extension to that stent and perfectly connects. Right now, oftentimes physicians are using two different stents to manage those two different areas or to make it a long enough stent. And here we'll have this nice combination that fits together. Very cool. 
So you had reminded me prior to my pushing record that Intact and Vesper, well, actually Vesper had spun out of Intact, correct? They were they were, were the same. Well, at one point they were the same company. Yes. I'm trying to remember. Did you have an investment in one or the other? And and I guess where, where I'm going with that question is how does Philips look at acquisitions going forward? Do you sort of have what you need right now or are you looking to continue to build a portfolio through acquisitions? Yeah, I would say that we are first focused organically, right? We spend almost $2 billion a year on organic um, activities and wow. R&D work. So yeah, so it's very, we're very much an innovation driven company. And I would say we think about acquisitions more as tuck-ins, mm-hmm. filling needs that we feel like it's either going to take us too long to get there on our own from our organic portfolio, or there's a unique skill set that we don't necessarily have that by acquiring this enters us into a new space that provides opportunities even further into our portfolio. With this, the, the other beauty, what I often tell people when they're interested in Philips, even from a recruiting perspective, is the beauty of Philips is that it has, especially devices business, has come from all the other big companies and startups. Mm-hmm. So we have just a phenomenal group of people who are coming from all the blue chip medical device companies, as well as through our acquisitions, we bring in new talent. And it's an exciting organization where there's lots of great ideas flowing, bring kind of the best and the brightest together. Uh, so we continue, we'll obviously be always watching from an inorganic perspective, but thinking about that in relation to either unmet needs that we're not currently working on organically or to bring in new skills and capabilities. It's interesting to me that you started at, at Medtronic at a time when that was really growing into a more diversified med tech company with the MBAs and the engineers kind of coming together. Now you're joining Philips and you're almost building a business within a business from scratch. What is that process like? And, and you did hit upon it, but how has that resonated with others in the industry? Are there, is there an excitement about having sort of a new player in the market that folks can join and, and be part of? Absolutely. I think a lot of people are excited about it. I think everybody is becoming more and more aware. It's just as we, the innovation continues around artificial intelligence and augmented reality, the excitement around combining imaging and therapy. So uh, we definitely have people coming interested in being part of our team. It's an exciting time. It's really an inflection point where we can, I think you asked the question earlier, you know, how do you think about how imaging could potentially drive mm-hmm the therapy, right? I mean, really not just inform it, but but really help drive it. And there's some just incredibly exciting work being done in that space as we think about where we can go all with the goal, which I think all of us have who are in the med tech space, expanding access to care and really improving care for patients around the world. Terrific. And just final, final question. If you were to look forward five years or so, how does that Phillips look compared to the Phillips we're looking at now? Do you anticipate any dramatic right or left turns, or are you going to kind of stick to your knitting and just continue to build sort of on this parallel track with the image guided therapy? Yeah, no, I think I think it's a good, I think it's a really good point. You know, one of the things that Philips has been on is really a transformation of the organization, right? Over the last 10 years, they've sold off everything that's not health related, right? So <laughs> lighting and domestic appliances, and really focus now on health technology. And that will continue to expand. So, you know, one of the things that's unique about Philips is really highly focused and committed to the whole healthcare continuum from healthy living 
all the way through to diagnosis and treatment, and then ultimately chronic disease management, hopefully keeping people on this cycle of, of healthy living. And we'll continue to expand that, right? Continue to do more and more that's virtually managing patients. I know Chris had talked a little over a year about a year ago about the REACTS platform mm-hmm. where we can help reps support physicians remotely thinking about more that we can do where we're using digital assets to manage patient care. One of the things as we look at our image-guided therapy business, um, we're in seven disease states, but only three in devices. So the others right now, it's just an imaging portfolio. So we'll continue to, to expand that, right? Really look at how do we put those two together to meet the needs of patients in the lung space, in neurology, in spine, right? And some of these other really uh, interesting Oncology is another example, really interesting spaces where we believe we can add value by bringing our knowledge and expertise around imaging with expertise and devices. Fantastic. All right. Well, it's a great story and I really appreciate you sharing it on the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Tom, for the time. All right, and we're back. Let's uh, let's wrap this up, Chris Newmarker. Before we we do that though, and get into social, I did want to uh, uh, give Chris Landon credit for his other uh, first on the podcast interview we did with him two years ago. You were the first to join us in our fight against pumpkin sausage, Chris. So, uh, <laughs> yes, you, you took a stance. The war continues. I don't know if we've uh, won yet. I don't even know if we've made progress, <laughs> but uh, we, will yeah, we will we will we will continue to fight. We will fight. So, all right, Chris Newmarker. All right. I will, I will complain if I go to the co-op this fall and I still see it there. It's got to stop. The madness has to stop. Uh, where are you uh, on social media out there, Chris? Uh, you can find me on social Newmar- social media on LinkedIn. I'm Chris Newmarker, just like a new marker. You can find me on Twitter at Newmarker. Right. And I am uh, on Twitter at MedTechTom. I am on LinkedIn, Tom Salemi, S-A-L-E-M-I. Uh, Chris Landon, you are too smart to be on, on Twitter. So, uh, But I am on LinkedIn, yeah. so feel free to follow me there if you like. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. So uh, please do, uh, what do we want people to do again? Chris, I always forget. Wait, does Landon remember? Oh man, the one question you knew I didn't know. Oh my gosh. You knew the you knew the pumpkin sausage. You're like, oh, there's just we gotta okay, you gotta like I thought you guys would love the fact that I remember the hot tub chicken wings. Come on. Oh my gosh. I even forgot about the hot tub chicken chicken wings. My gosh. You are you are a true fan. So yes, like, follow, subscribe. (laughs) Well done, Chris Newmarker. And uh, please do subscribe to this podcast. You'll get this podcast. You'll get our uh, Intuitive Talks podcast. You'll get our Striker Talks podcast. And you can also subscribe separately to our Metronic Talks podcast. And uh, please do share this on social media. Well, you know, a, a smorgasbord of like knowledge and well, insights. As hopefully. we all get back on the planes and airports, now you have all this, this these podcasts to listen to and to uh, to make yourself a better med tech person. And uh, of course, please do register register to attend our upcoming in-person meetings because the world is opening back up. Use the code DTW25 to save 25% off the price of registration. All right. Well, we've got two minutes to spare, Chris Lander. We're going to get you to uh, the airport on time. Thank you so much for, uh, for joining us on the podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun, guys. Definitely fun. All right. And folks, tune in next week. We'll have another great episode of the Device Talks weekly podcast waiting for you. Take care. Stay healthy. 